Welcome to the Books Talk podcast from Lincoln City Libraries. This program was recorded at the Bethany Branch Library on March 22nd, 2019. Shannon from the Isley Branch Library discusses some nonfiction books she has read. I'm Shannon. I'm from Walt Branch, and so I just brought some of the books I've been reading recently. The first one on my list is The Glass Universe. And this one is, um, you can get it in book form, you can get it in audio form, and you can get it in an ebook. So there's multiple ones for it. It tells the story of the women computers who worked at the Harvard um, Observatory at the turn of the century. If you liked hidden figures, this kind of follows the oh. same lines. Okay. It talks a lot about how the Harvard Observatory got started. Um, there were two widows who either through their husbands or through their family had a lot of money and either had themselves a personal passion about um, space and the stars or um, the main Dr. Pickering. He was his own kind of amateur astronomer and his wife when he passed away had all these plates that he had taken of the stars and so she along with the director, I forget his name, what's his name? Oh, sorry. Edward Pickering is the guy who ran it. Dr. Draper was the doctor who um, passed away. But Edward Pickering kind of pushed Miss Draper Mm -hmm. to create the observatory. And so she did. I found the book a little pandering in places. Edward Pickering was a a good guy in that he would put the women who helped him's name on the papers, but he oh. took a lot of the credit for everything it's that was out of the un- yeah out of the observatory. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, he was not afraid to say, "Well, I got help by these women," but he did take some of the biggest ones as his own, and the biggest one was how to measure the universe by Miss Levitz. And so, for the longest time, it was called the Pickering measurements. And recently, as it's come to light, it's been moved to the Levitz measuring system. It's how we measure how far stars are apart from each other, how space is moving, things like that. And it's a brilliant story. So if you want, you could use this one as an intro to this one. But this is a much better book because it talks about her life and her journey and her abilities personally so well, I'm really glad to see because of all the movement yes. that women are finally mm-hmm. getting some recognition but often the writers take it out of the context of the time yeah and I'm sorry I'm old enough to realize <laughs> that some of those women the only way they were going to get any recognition was through that male figure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so, so they tolerated it it's like I said it's good because you know, he did try to nominate yeah. the women for awards. He, but at the same time, he used women because he knew they were cheaper and he could yeah. do more and not pay them as much and get more out of them yeah. because yeah. they were hungry. So, I mean, it's kind of one of those double yeah, whammies. But that was also accepted. At that yes, time. it was very it much accepted. Challenged. Let me clarify. I think the problem was is that she never fully like the author never gave that up front. It was like, oh, he's a great guy because he did all of this. But it could have been like, you know, he was functioning in his time. Mm-hmm. He was doing what he had to. And here's where he was a great example of trying to push this forward instead of being like, oh, he was all altruistic all the time. Well, it just rubbed me the wrong way because it was like, instead of just saying this is how it was at the time and this is where he stepped forward instead of 
keeping with the norm. He never had to put any of these women's name on any of the papers that he submitted, and he did. Mm. And I would have rather have her applaud that than make it look like he was like a a great man all the way around. Yes, and that's my point. Yeah. But I like this book because I did feel it was kind of of the same ilk of um, Hidden Figures. It does talk a lot about the women computers. There are a lot of people in it, so if you kind of get lost by names, it is a little easier to read the book versus listening because sometimes you get lost in all the names that go by. I like that I'm seeing science pick up on where it needs to instead of calling it the Pinkering measurement, giving credit to the woman who actually discovered it and calling it by the name it should be. It's slow going, but it's finally getting there. And that's a quick read, and it's a really good one. I like... I like that one, and there's another one that I picked up because I was looking for that one because of this book, because mm-hmm. they talk about her in this book, but I wanted something a little more, is The Georgian Star. Oh. This one's about William and Kathleen Herschel. Um, William Herschel found found Uranus, which okay. he called George Star originally, oh. after King George, but it oh, had to okay. be given a more, I don't know, supreme name than Georgia star it also talks about um carolyn and how she found a lot of um comets in fact she was one of the first pioneers to find them she found eight in in her lifetime and she along with her brother did massive measurements and changed how the whole field of astronomy works and how how it's measured how it's cataloged so the two of them like pioneered a lot of the measurements or a lot of the practices that are still in place and used today. And this book is uh, is good because it gives them both equal time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. I mean, he in himself is an interesting character, and he has a lot of interesting quirks. But they give them both the same mm-hmm. time, even though it's a short book, because. Uh, they were both Austrian, and he was his father was a musician, so his father had all of his kids learn music. And even Carolyn, even though her mother was like, well, we don't need smart girls. They need to know how to sew and need to know. So as she got older, her mother pushed her into being a scullery maid. And so a lot of times she's called the Cinderella of astronomy because she started out as a scullery maid and then moved with her brother because her brother um, moved to England and took up a position as teacher. And then after he discovered Uranus, became the... I forget the title, but basically the astronomer for King George. So he had his sister come and keep house for him, but part of that was also helping him through all of his astronomy. So it's a fascinating read. It's a quick read. I think both of them sometimes get pushed. Like a lot of people know who Einstein is and a lot of, you know, the touchstones, but they don't know a lot of the other influential people in science. And I think this is a great one because it is, it is so fundamental to how space is looked at these days. And I don't think a lot of people know that. So this is an incredibly hard book to read. Not because it's a bad book, because it's a very sad book. So if you're not in a sad mood, I don't recommend reading it. It's bringing home, bringing Columbia home, and is all about 
the Columbia, and I'm going to tear up because I I bawled through the whole thing. I was sitting there listening to it. I'm like, oh, my son's like, what are you crying about? And I'm like, it's so sad. Because I remember uh, Challenger, because I was, I watched it at school like a lot of kids my age did. And then, so this book is all about, it takes place like two minutes before uh, Columbia is going to enter atmosphere and then everything past that. So it's T minus zero and up. And I found this fascinating. I already knew it, but I, I like that they talk about it. Like their clocks count down and if they start counting up, there's a big problem. So it was always plus two hours, plus five hours. So, but like I said, it's a, it's a fascinating read because it talks all about like how, how they found them, what they did. It talks about the problems that NASA had after the Challenger explosion. And if you're not familiar with the Challenger explosion, it was O-rings that were too cold. Mm -hmm. And the, the engineers had told them, you know, you can't launch. And it either, because of the climate or because of, well, we're just going, they launched it and they suffered the consequences of it. So there was an investigation after Challenger and Miss Ride, if you haven't read this book, I recommend it, was on that committee and she talks a lot about it in her book. And I recommend this book anyways because it's a fascinating read, but she talks, no it's not because I pulled it afterwards. What is it called? It's Sally called Ride. Sally Ride. And I'll pass it around. But she talks a lot about the commit, the commission that was started to investigate the Challenger and what they recommended. And basically, NASA never listened because they had the same problems with Columbia. It came about that Columbia, during its launch, had a foam piece of its heat shield fall off and strike something down. And... They knew it had fallen, but they didn't know where it had fallen or how much had fallen. But the problem lied that the engineers asked the U.S. military for information from satellites that are classified information. Mm -hmm. And NASA's higher-ups said, well, you have to prove to us that we actually need that information. Well, you can't prove it until you have the information because there would lie the problem. And so it was never addressed. But the other problem was is that they had no way to get them home. So let's say they figured out we can't bring them home because the heat shield has been compromised. We have no way to get them. So they talk about um, the, the things that they did. So when Enterprise and the other shuttle, from that point on, when they launched, they had the second one waiting. So if they had to, they could have gone up and got whoever was there. Mm -hmm. um, Columbia is pre-International Space Station. Mm -hmm. So Columbia is building the International Space Station. So it's not like they could have just parked them at the International Space Station. So that's why this is a little different. Scott Kelly has a twin brother, Mark, right? who also was an astronaut. Mm -hmm. And while people always talk about the twin study, mm -hmm. NASA really wanted to do that, but they can't ask them to do that. It was only when Scott offered himself and his brother up that they would do this. So they talk a lot about it. And if you continue to watch the news, mm -hmm. it's fascinating because they are finding that Scott has DNA 
differences yeah. from yeah. his mm -hmm. brother that weren't there. Mm -hmm. So being in space that long had fundamentally changed who he is. Oh yes, yeah, so, and it's a longevity study, so they'll be doing these two. So this talks a lot about what they do afterwards, all the tests they go through mm. and all the things that they go through. And then his book talks about his year in space, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I sadly don't have it, but he has a whole book, and I know the library owns it, of all of his um, pictures he took from oh, yeah. the eye of mm -hmm. the International Space Station. Mm -hmm. And some of them you can really tell are places, and others just look like these beautiful watercolors because mm -hmm. it's close-ups of deserts and water and stuff. So I recommend all of his stuff because it's fascinating to watch or read. I watched an interview with the two with twins. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I had the strangest feeling like that. Boy, their mother must have really been a champion. And I she mean, was because they were so naughty as little yeah, boys. Well, they, I got the feeling that they, what, what one couldn't think of, the other one could. Well, and yeah, she, they talk about in there how they figured out at a very young age that they could use each other to crawl out of their crib. And so oh. one of their first brushes oh. with the law was that they crawled out of their crib and were wandering around at night outside because, you know, they could use the other one as a stepladder to get the door and and how they, they were inevitably always going to the hospital either to remove stitches or usually to remove and add stitches at the same time. So his mom wanted to become a cop, and so he talks a lot about how their dad built an obstacle course in their backyard so she could practice and how a lot of her like determination to become this cop fed into his determination later on. They're both very interesting gentlemen and I recommend both of them. Columbia, when it crashed, and they don't go into a ton of detail, it unfortunately broke up over Texas and mm -hmm. given where it broke up, it spread debris everywhere and thank goodness it broke up past Dallas because if that debris had run down on Dallas there could have been a lot more issues but the the book talks about them finding the the crew and how the astronauts were the first ones because astronauts are very atypical people so they needed something to do so they just showed up and they were like well we're gonna go find you know everyone so they talk a lot about that. It was fascinating because they talk about how how difficult it was. So there's lots of pictures in here of finding, you know, stuff everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like that was a piece that they right. found because mm -hmm. of the impact, how, how it looked. And they wanted to try to recover as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, after the initial first responders and the astronauts and everyone had found the crew, it was kind of like, okay, now we have to put the ship back together. Mm -hmm. So um, the biggest people who came were fire and rescue from the forest industry. And it was actually mostly Native Americans because they have groups that they work the fires in their area. Mm -hmm. And because it happened in February, there were no fires. So they were actually able to move. And they pretty much come with their own village. It's like they bring their own tents, they bring their own cooks, they bring everything, and then they'd start the walks and how long the walks would take them. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of pictures in here. I did find this book kind of a hard book to listen to just because there were a lot of points of reference that I had to go and dig out the book to find. There's a great map 
here that gives you its projection through its debris debris path and stuff like that that I I needed to refer to. So while it is a good book to listen to, the the reader unfortunately drags a little bit, and then sometimes he has to make everything dramatic. So <laughs> that drove me a little nuts, but. This was a phenomenal book because it talks a lot about how they brought Columbia home. And it just it enrages me to find out that people were out there trying to scavenge pieces. Oh, yeah. and Put them on eBay. Yes, and the FBI shut those down rather mm -hmm. quickly. But apparently they had like a get-out-of-free-jail kind of time period. So if you pick something up. Mm -hmm. But it, they also got calls from people asking if they could return things from the Challenger. So mm -hmm. they were still pieces out there. So it's an excellent book. I recommend it for anyone that, you know, I mean, everyone experienced that tragedy. Yeah. So it's a phenomenal yeah. book. And I think it's also kind of like a thank you to everyone who helped. But it's a hard, it's a hard book to read because, well, I cried everything. So... The next book I unfortunately don't have because the list is so long on it. It's called Indianapolis. Um, it is about the USS Indianapolis, which is um, mm -hmm, responsible for the uh, largest loss of life during in, in, in any Navy capacity. Um, there were 1,183 sailors on that boat and only 300 survived. Um, Captain McVeigh is the only officer to ever be court-martialed for yeah. a loss of a boat in in, U oh. in World War II. So it's a very controversial yeah. story because there is a lot of things that the Navy did wrong, and then they held this man up to take responsibility right. for something that was not his fault. Is this the book written by a 15-year-old? No, this is not. But yes, um, for those who don't know, a young man named Robert starts with an S started a project on this book for his sixth grade class and as he started investigating he started finding all these holes and through chance luck and eventually it came up before congress as this is wrong we need to correct this problem so the book goes through because i started listening to it and then had to return it because it, people are on hold for it. So it's super popular right now. I'm back on the list for it. But the book starts just giving you from 1941, and then it's going to move all the way on through today. I'm finding this book is too difficult to listen to because there's a lot of map references and a lot of geo... And in the book, they've got a lot of that stuff marked out. So I think it's an easier book to read for that reason. But there is an audio if you want to listen to it. So... They talk about the boat, its construction, the men on board. We the just found it, you know. Yes, Paul Allen. Well, 2016. Mm -hmm. And Paul Allen, who um, some of you may not know, is a part of Microsoft. He passed away this year, but he, mm -hmm. along with his submarine crew, mm -hmm. found the boat. Mm -hmm. But they talk about it, and it's fascinating. So, and I unfortunately already told my dad about it, so he bought it. So there goes my Christmas gift for him. <laughs> <laughs> so he's reading it, and he's a faster reader than I am. So he keeps spoiling things for me, and I keep telling him to knock it off. So I have to get I have to get the book soon so I can finish it up. So it's a it's a fascinating read, but it's a brand spanking new book, and it is on audio, and it is on, in um, book form, but I don't have either because, well, I don't have the book because there was a long list on it, mm -hmm. but I recommend it because I'm, 
it's really good so far. But like I said, I think it's an easier book to read versus one to listen to. The next one I brought is called In the Hurricane's Eye. And this one is back to the um, American Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. yeah. He writes a lot of great he books, does, and yeah. his books are really, I think, really well written. So mm -hmm. even if you're not interested in the topic, I think mm -hmm. he really can draw you in with the way he writes them. Um, this book deals more with the Navy and um, the British and the French and the Spanish mm -hmm. and why... Washington was able to corner Cornwallis where he did in Virginia versus, you know, it just being the great land tactics. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't give the French and don't give the Spanish the credit they deserve for helping us. Well, our French have gotten... <laughs> Yes, well, the one guy, the yeah. Lafayette, but Lafayette was on the ground. I yeah. mean, a lot of what happened was in the Navy, and yeah. if the Navy had not been there to protect us, I mean, it would have been a war of attrition. We would have the Americans would have just pulled back into, you know, into the greater world, and they would have constantly had to been fighting us. I mean, Nathaniel Green through North Carolina showed that that's exactly what would have happened because he kept show, showing up, picking a fight, and running away because oh, yeah. we knew the terrain better than the British did. Mm -hmm. But that did not mean that that would ever have come. I mean, who knows? It could have been the British colonies and then the Americans could have been right smack in the middle because that might have been how it happened. But this book deals a lot with the... Um, French and the Spanish Armanas and mm -hmm. the Caribbean because if the things had not gone well there they would have never showed up and in fact the French were about ready to pull out on us because they were tired of this and their interest in the Caribbean were becoming more mm -hmm. threatened by the British picking fights with them and the, mm -hmm. and so this book deals a lot with that and I think there's a lot of naval history that kind of gets pushed to the background especially for Yorktown because it's this oh you know they just surrendered wasn't that lovely and I was like well yeah but it was a lot of like coercing him here and bringing him here and kind of following him it talks a lot about Benedict Arnold too so if you have not read any of his biographies I recommend one but this also talks a lot about how because Benedict Arnold was so hated that it became such an issue for the for the British because if any American or any rebel found out that Benedict Arnold was around, it was to the blood. They were going to find this man because they wanted his head. And so a lot of the British soldiers who were under his command hated him. One, they hated him for trading he on his own. He became a liability. Yeah, and he became a huge liability, especially after you know he traded sides. Mm -hmm. Even though he said that he fought, found the war to be abysmal, the British thought, well, if you find this war so horrible, you should have just stopped fighting, period. And then the sailors under him didn't like working for him because they now found themselves in even more trouble because anyone who found out where he was, they were, they were coming for him. So there's a lot in there. Uh, this is a French commander that we actually have a lot to thank for because he gained the money the French needed to get their fleet, all of their fleet, up to the Americas. And he was the one who came up with the idea for how to move the French and how they would protect the French interest in the Bahamas while the French went up to deal mm -hmm. with the Americas. So I don't think the Spanish get the credit they deserve, and they definitely do deserve some because mm -hmm. 
it was definitely like, well, the Americans are nice, but we really want to stick it to the British. So yeah, this was yeah, much more of a. This is much more of. We were at war with the right people. Yes, yeah. we were at war with the right people because taking the British Navy down was far yeah. more yeah. to the benefit of the French and the Spanish than it was to help us. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, there's an audio for it and a book, and I read. I listened to the audio, and I loved it because whoever wrote it or read it was so good. Okay, I brought the library book. I brought the picture because of the library of in case in, can anyone tell the library should do one book, one Lincoln, because I'll bet you she would come. I bet and she would. got the coincidence of the architects. Good view, yeah. mm -hmm. I think it would be an excellent one yeah. book, one Yeah, Lincoln. well, and I'm sad to say I did not pick up on the name when she started talking about him right away, and I'm like, man, that sounds so familiar. So I went and looked, and I was like, Oh, so I brought the picture in case anyone needed a reference for it. This book, I feel, is basically like a love letter to libraries. Well, open up the, end, oh, the right. first cover. It's I love the inside and the last and then yes. the last I, back cover. Yes. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. Oh, um, no, it's just a picture of it. Yeah. yeah. It's hung on the frame of the destruction of the library, but I felt like that was kind of like the backstory to like talking about how great libraries are and what right. they do for everyone. Right. So if you're hoping for like kind of the mystery of who burned, if you don't know, the Los Angeles Downtown Library in 19, 1896. No, 1996. 90, thank you. I got that book as a gift from my son-in-law. Oh, nice. <laughs> Because he was a special agent in charge of the investigation of the fire. He was with an agent oh. with alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Yeah. Wow. And, and he's mentioned in the book. Oh, But no, he really? was just delighted that this author had written the book. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Because, first of all, Tom's very, very bright. And he reads, just reads and reads. Mm -hmm. So libraries are very important to him. But his work on the investigation was I mean that kind of investigation is so interesting yeah um, I thought the, uh, the, the uh, suspect yes was a mini Trump well he changed his story he changed his story I think I mean if you're looking for a resolve for the problem of the fire you won't get it um, so don't read the book for that reason. If you want it because you want to read about how great the libraries are and what they do, and like I said, this is basically a love letter to libraries. So, I mean... She was interviewed on PBS NewsHour. You know, they do book interviews. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She oh, was just very personable. and But the book is very personal mm -hmm. with her, mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting. Well, when she talks about, there's a point where she talks about, like, actually lighting a book on fire, and so she mm -hmm. took a book out into the woods to yeah, try to light it on fire. Yeah. I was like, okay, first of all, I don't like that idea that, and it's California, don't light anything on fire, <laughs> yeah, ever. Yeah. But, I, that caused all kinds of an uproar among people who hadn't read the book, even, mm -hmm. that this author Laid a book on fire. Mm -hmm. Well, and I like that she tried 1984. Yes. <laughs> I was like, that's that's appropriate. But I'm like, don't in California, Lord, just don't, don't. 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 That's don't. the. <laughs> but um, I I I love the book as someone who works in the library because there's a lot of like things mm -hmm. that I found very funny oh, in yeah. there. 
Um, I don't know if any of you guys are movie people, but there's a movie coming out called The Public, and it's um, directed by Emilio Estevez, and it's all about he works at a library. The first, like like the trailer of it, I was dying laughing because it's like these questions that we get, and one of them, there's a scene where this kid walks up, he goes, I need a color photo of of George Washington. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, that's really not far off the mark on some things I've had people ask me. So if any of you guys are are movie people, I know that's coming out. I don't know if it's going to be a limited one, but it, it looks really funny. The public. The public. But yes, I recommend this book to everyone. It is, um, she reads it, so you can listen to it too. And she's a great author, so I recommend reading everything she's written. Yeah. She's written The Orchid Thief, which is a fascinating yeah. book ab- mm-hmm. about orchids. Um, I also brought... I made the library purchase this one in audio because they didn't have it, but they did have the book. Rin Tin Tin, which if you haven't read it, is a fascinating book. I, I, I mean, I know who Rin Tin Tin is, like I, uh, Rin Tin Tin, canine cop, but I never watched anything, so I asked my husband, I was like, do you remember a show? He's like, oh, I remember that show was on in the afternoons, and I watched it on Nickelodeon, it was yeah. fabulous. I'm like, oh. So, um, while a lot of people are like, it's about a dog? I'm like, well, yeah. A movie but, star. Yes. And he wasn't no star. Well, there's many Rin Tin Tins, but the original yeah, Yeah. but the original Rin Tin Tin was a movie star, and he had billing over his human counterparts because it was he was a celebrity, and all of the things. Did he start out in movies? Kind of like less. No, um, the TV I remember the TV show. Yeah, he actually. uh, (laughs) Lee Duncan was a soldier in the first world war and he found rin tin tin in a shelter that had been bombed um as a puppy and so he he raised him and then he lived in california and decided he'd try his luck in movies so he took rin tin tin to the movies and they just kind of lucked into it but then and there's a picture of the original rin tin tin he's so cute Boy, he's got muscles. Yes, and he's, they talk a lot about, like, how the breed of German shepherds has changed. He, he's a lot thinner and smaller than they are today, and they do talk about how, for the longest time, they were trying to bring those hips down so they look like they're in that permanent crouch, and how that's, you know, how that causes all problems and stuff like that. So this book is a lot about, like, Lee Duncan, who who found Rin Tin Tin, um, Rin Tin Tin the first, and then it talks about his descendants and then the multiple versions of Rin Tin Tin from, you know, the one where it was super popular in the 50s. They do talk a lot about how, like, Rin Tin Tin and other 50s sitcoms were, like, where the marketing to children came from because it was suddenly like you have this captive audience and they all can have these David Boone hats and yeah so they talk a lot about that in there and how like how popular the television programs made and things like that so it was an awesome book I was kind of like a whole book about I don't know and you know I didn't walk into this one the same way I did Marley and me because I knew this dog 
went on for generations, so I knew he was going to pass away, so it wasn't. I like Marley and me. <laughs> I will never take a customer's advice again because <laughs> this woman came up and she said, oh, you have to read Marley and me. It's the best book ever. And I was like, does the dog die? Because I can't handle oh. dead dogs right now. And she's like, no, no, it doesn't. She flat out lied to me. Oh. I got to the end. I'm like, this is going to go bad. This is really going to go bad. They took him to the Yeah, but still, I had just lost a dog. So I really did not want to read a dead dog book. Yeah. So, no, I'm a little I'm a little leery whenever customers are like, oh, this is a good book. Um, I picked up The Raven Master. And I don't know if most of you know. So, in the Tower of London, there are the ravens that are there, and the story goes that if the ravens ever flew away, the monarchy would fall. So, one of the Yeoman warders, or beefers, beef eaters, they don't really like that title, is a raven master, and his responsibility is to take care of the ravens. Yes. So, this book is all about the ravens at the tower, and then a little back history of the tower. Um... After I got finished with this book, I told my husband, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this book was a... His wife came home and was like, you have all this stuff in this room. Do something with it. So he does talk a lot about how he gets sent stuff, and he has all these Raven books and all this stuff. So I definitely feel it was a, you must do something with all of this stuff. It's it's good. I liked a lot of it because you learn like how the Ravens are kept, where they are kept, what their interactions... Um, ravens apparently are very naughty, and they will steal things from people. Oh, yeah. So he talks a lot about how he has to, like, keep the ravens from stealing people's food at the tower and stuff like that. So I found it really fascinating. He talks about a time when they they had the poppies. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but in 2014, the tower put up ceramic poppies for every soldier killed in World War One. And then the beef eaters went out. They each took turns and read names. So I brought copies of what that looked like. Oh my so you can see it. There were 8,843,000 casualties. It's a lot of soldiers. So it, it was a... I remember it, but I, I know they talk about it in there, so I wanted to bring it. But um, he's also, unfortunately... The library got rid of their copy of it. There's a there was a BBC series called The Tower, and it was fabulous because they talked about the construction of the tower, um, you know, their famous prisoners, the escaped attempts, the ravens. He's in that show. Yes, um, they don't have it anymore at the library, but I don't know if any of you have Amazon Prime. They have it on there, and I, I, you can watch it on there. It. Um, depending on the the quality of your TV, it might be a little rough because it is kind of older. But it's a great. I loved it because they do a lot of computer animation, so you get to see how the tower looked at different stages, and you know they talk about the renovations and so it's. I think it's like fifteen parts. Yeah, it, it's it's astounding. So it, it was. I mean, there's a whole section in in the book about it so I just thought I'd bring it just in case anyone but it's a I like it it's a fun read it's a quick read he's he's pretty personable so um there's a couple great books just about the tower and um they have a lot of details in there that was a fun book I really enjoyed it I brought and this is a new book so it is relatively new it's called the color of time 
Um, if you look at it in Europe, where this is actually from, there's a U in color. Oh. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is that way in the catalog as well. It started as this young woman took a picture of one of the men who were accused of shooting Lincoln, and she colorized it and posted it on her Twitter feed. And people were astounded, like, who is that handsome man? You know, like, they they thought it was a current picture. And so as it went viral, an, uh, an author saw this and he said, you know, we should really do a book. So together they created a book and they took black and white photos and threw a paint, yeah, and painstaking. So they not only had to go back and find the history of what colors were popular, what colors would have been worn, she has to go through and digitally add the color. Mm-hmm. And it's gorgeous. Like I so this is the last Hawaiian queen. Oh yeah. And so like they don't alter the photos at all, but they just add the color to the photos. Mm-hmm. So it gives um, you know, that's why it's kind of blurry. But it's a phenomenal book and I'll pass it around. And so every single picture then has a little bit about the subject or about the time period and at the beginning they talk about all the ones that they chose I know it's his heavy (laughs) and um, all the ones they chose and all the ones they unfortunately had to leave out I believe she is still doing them on her Twitter page but it's it's a it's a beautiful book it's so pretty and it's so I think sometimes there is a tendency to avoid things that are black and white, you know, our eyes just kind of skim over them and by adding the color. I don't know if anyone's seen it, but um, Peter Jackson just did a movie called When We Were Young. And, and it's in black and white, isn't it? No, it's in color. It's oh. of it's World War II, World War One footage. Uh-huh. And so he took a bunch of World War One footage and not only did he slow it down so it doesn't look so Oh yeah. yeah. Um, he colored it, mm-hmm. and then they went in and added voices. And it was at the Raws because my my um, father took my son to see it. But mm-hmm. they are now ordering it, so I know the library is going to get a copy eventually. Mm-hmm. And my son came home like chatting a mile a minute about all the stuff we needed to do and what we needed to learn. And so I think it helps people who maybe don't put the stock in anything that, that that doesn't have color because it's something they're not used to or oh that's so old but this was a phenomenal book and in the beginning she does talk about her her process and it is incredibly time consuming so uh, I brought the dra- the dinosaur artist and I haven't finished this book you can take it because I have the audio I'm listening to basically this book is kind of like any book that's about Uh, stolen art this one's about stolen dinosaurs and how how they're tracked how they're um, this one talks a lot about dinosaurs that are lifted from Mongolia because they have some of the most abundant areas where they have full dinosaur bones and how they are internationally trafficked and how you know People steal dinosaur bones for profit. Yes, yes. yes. Sure. And the ways in which they kind of claim that they don't know, where, like, oh, it might be from the Mesozoic time period, and right. it could have come from this right. area. Completely out of context. Yes, right. or they just, you know, if they don't know it, they can't be charged with a crime kind of thing. Yeah. So it's one of those yeah. where 
Well, that's their hope. I'm I'm not that far into it, and it it gives you. So far, it's pretty much just like introducing you. Where I've gotten to is introducing you to all the people involved. So it's talking about like international people who are involved, um, mm-hmm. scientists, paleontologists, the people who are actually digging up the bones, um, the people who are trying to sell them, and kind of introducing you to everyone. It is a lot like art theft in that you know a lot of people can it claim. Is. Oh, it's just a fake bone. Oh, I just picked this up at a museum. And it will a lot of times get through customs the same way art does where they say, oh, it's just a copy. It's just a really good copy. So because it's not a jewel or it's not drugs, it's a lot easier to get these things through international lines. So um, it's it's really interesting. Um, I don't know if anyone's watched Dinosaur 13, I believe it is. It's all about a group that found a full... Tyrannosaurus rex skeleton in Texas. Well, they had paid the farmer a couple thousand dollars for the privilege of digging on their land with the understanding that if they found anything, they could keep it. Well, suddenly this Tyrannosaurus rex was found and the farmers came back and said, no, 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 it's mine, it's my land. So the argument starts to build who exactly is ownership. If you agree to give someone the ability to dig, and they find something, then it should be theirs. So that's actually still going on in the courts today because there are lots of dinosaur bones being found. Yeah. And, you know, museums are unfortunately the ones at the short end of the stick because they can't afford, you know, compete with private collectors. So that's all I have. Well, that yeah. was very interesting. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast from Lincoln City Libraries. You can find a wide selection of our podcasts of book talks and other programs at lincolnlibraries.org slash category slash podcasts. Mm-hmm.